Friends, that is so true. Our God is faithful. His promise stands. He's never failed us. I appreciate the worship team reminding us of that. And that is the proclamation. Every time the people of God gather in worship, it is this proclamation that God is faithful. And we also remind that God is present. And over the next few weeks, we're beginning a new sermon series that's called Discovering Your Story. And that's going to be a common theme. As you think about your story, you're going to, we're going to think about the faithfulness of God and the presence of God in the midst of the story of our lives. Uh, and as we do that, as we, as we think about the story of our life and how it fits into God's story, we're also leading up to our centennial. It's uh, July 8, 9, and 10. And you're going to hear some stories from our past. You're going to hear some stories of how God has moved in the past. And it's a really amazing time to be part of Bentonville Community Church, to think about a hundred years of faithfulness, a hundred years of life-giving community uh, in, this, in this region, and to think we get to be a part of it for this moment, for this season of history. What God has done in the past, He's going to do in the future. So we are a part of a great big story, and God wants to take our story and join it with His. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. So let's start with a story. Uh, those of you that have heard me preach a few times, you know, um, you, you, might, you might hear a few stories when you come to church. But uh, my kids were four, year old, four years old and one year old. And uh, Lauren had just taken a new job as a consultant for the Beaumont School District. They were trying to choose curriculum for their early childhood department. And so she had a series of meetings. She was advising them on, uh, on some curriculum choices. And so it was not normally my day to watch the kids, but she had to take these meetings. And so here I was with my four-year-old and my one-year-old and um, having to watch them for the day. And so I saw where the Port Natchez Library was having story time. And one of the librarians was going to read a Thomas the Train book to the kids. And so I thought, that is a good thing for us to do. And so I loaded up my four-year-old and my one-year-old. And some of you are familiar with this. You don't just walk out of the house with a four-year-old and a one-year-old. You have a, a variety of things that you need to marshal together so that you can survive with a four-year-old and a one-year-old away from home base. They give you this thing called a diaper bag, but if you just put diapers in there, you're going to get, you're, 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 you're going to regret it. You're going to need a whole lot more than diapers in that thing called a diaper bag. So I got all of our stuff together. I thought that I could handle a trip to the Port Natchez Library. And off we went for story time. And we get there and I walk into the room. And on a Thursday morning at 10 a.m. at the Port Natchez Library, maybe it'll surprise you, but I found myself as the only dad in the room. It was full of, of moms with their four-year-old and their three-year-old, and they had babies too. And so there I was with this room full of moms. And, and you know, I had my stuff. I had my diaper bag. I thought I was prepared, but I looked at all the stuff that they had and how prepared they were, and I saw that I was outgunned very early on. Uh, and I think they knew I was an amateur. I think they knew I didn't belong. Uh, and I sort of felt that from the moment that I walked into the room. But there I was. We were going to enjoy story time. And I don't know what precipitated this. I don't know why Luke decided to be unhappy. He had been fed. Um, I, 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 just, I don't know why. But at some point, about two minutes into story time, he became unhappy. His diaper was clean. His, I knew his belly was full. 
couldn't understand why my one-year-old decided to just be unhappy and cry and cry really loud. And so I'm reaching into the diaper bag. What do I have? What do I have? What can I do to, to get this child to stop crying? He's interrupting story time. And like the collective scorn of the room just came my way as my one-year-old was the one disturbing this amazing reading of Thomas the Train. And so uh, I, I did receive a little bit of compassion from this mom next to me. She like quickly reached in her diaper bag and she's like, give him some puffs. He'll like puffs. And I'm like, I've got puffs, thanks. And so puffs didn't do the trick. Um, and uh, the distraction was becoming a little bit greater and a little bit more distracting. And I remembered, I've got a binky, this thing called a pacifier for, for you amateurs in the room. I've got, I've got a binky. I'm going to grab the binky. I'm going to give it to Luke that normally does the trick. And so I reach in the diaper bag. I get the binky with the Cubs logo on it. And I put it in his mouth. And it works for like 20 seconds. And story time resumes and everything's good and, and, and nobody wants to burn me at the stake anymore. And then about 20 seconds after that, unexplainably, probably because it was a Cubs binky, my son reaches into his mouth, throws it across the room. It goes right in front of the librarian reading Thomas the Train and comes to rest at the base of a stroller that's parked there on the other side of the room. Guess who doesn't have a backup binky? This guy. This guy. If, if we're going to stay, I'm going to have to retrieve that somehow. And so as like stealthily as you can with a 22-pound screaming baby, I sneak across the room and I'm trying to get the pacifier and I can't reach it. It's at the base of this woman's stroller with her baby in it. And I just tap her on the shoulder and I say, excuse me, ma'am, could you hand me his pacifier? She looks at me like, she reaches down, she grabs the pacifier, and what she says next, I'm going to recount to you verbatim. This is not like all my other stories. This is true. <laughs> she reaches down, she grabs the pacifier, she hands it to me, and she says to me, my children never took passies. <laughs> and hands it to me. Yeah. And I snatched it out of her hand. And because I'm saved, sanctified, petrified, and on my way to heaven, let me tell you what I said to her. I said, thank you very much. And I grabbed it, and I took my four-year-old and my screaming baby, and I left the room. But you know what? Twelve years later, can I tell you what I wanted to say to her? What I wanted, would I still be saved, sanctified, petrified, and on my way to heaven if I told you what I wanted to say to her? Because of what I wanted to say to her was, hey, lady, one day my baby will stop crying. One day he won't need a pacifier. Heck, he might even wipe his own bottom one day. But your baby's always going to look like you. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. And I can't tell you the satisfaction it brings me to say it here for you. It makes the whole experience worth it. <laughs> I say all that to say, story time was a disaster. It was a total disaster. It was awful. It was a Thomas the Train wreck. Did not go well. 
But yeah, the, 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 the Snodgrass family continues to like and enjoy stories. We didn't give up on stories. We love books. We love movies. We love great stories. We love villains. We love heroes. And this is how humans are. We love a good story that tells of eternal and lasting values. That's what draws us into some of these movie franchises. There's compelling characters, and there's a hero, and there's a villain. And, and we like it when evil is vanquished by good, when good wins in the end. And friends, what I would say to you today is that this, this book that we have, this book that we order our worshiping life around, is, is a story. This is God's story. It's, the Bible is the story of God's never-ending love for humanity. Every page, every chapter in the history of the people of God, it is God saying to the world, I, I love you. This is what I'm doing to demonstrate my love for you. You know, there are other faith traditions. There are three, three total monotheistic religions. There's, there's Judaism, there's Islam, and they have a holy book. I was reminded of how Islam thinks of its holy book. Its holy book begins with these propositional truths about Allah. It tells these, these things. These are the things we know about Allah. Our book begins very differently. It doesn't begin with propositional truth. It begins with the story of a God who, out of love, began to go about the business of creation. And this God out of love separates light from darkness. And then creation climaxes with this being creating a being in his own image so that this being might share in this love that flows from the heart of God. It's a story. And it, and it, and it has twists and turns. And the, the man and the woman that God puts in the garden, they rebel. And then God raises up a man named Abraham and says, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to redeem what your first parents broke. And Israel comes on the scene and Israel is to be this light for the nations, and, and their story takes lots of twists and turns. But then out of the story of Israel comes Jesus. And it's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit that is given to the church that tells the story of what God is doing in the world. And friends, we are a continuation of the story. You know, we get to the book of Revelation, and, and, and the, the book actually comes to an end. The last word in our story is amen. But although the printed page ends, the story goes on. It's gone on through the church, and it continues through us today. And so I want us to think about our life together as participating with this story and to discover how our story fits into what God is doing. It's more than propositional truth. It's also more than a user manual. I've heard people say this is the, the user manual for life. And usually it's an engineer type that says that kind of thing. And I would say, you know, I, I bought a new string trimmer from Lowe's the other day. And uh, it had in it a, commonly called a weed eater, by the way. It had in it a user manual. And, you know, I thumbed through that user manual. There wasn't one ounce of me that wanted to read any of that. You know what I want to do with my string trimmer? I want to take it out of the box, turn it on, and go. I didn't want to read any of that user manual. And so this is more than a user manual. This is more than technical stuff. This is a story. This is a story of, of what God has done and how we can participate in it. My friend 
who pastors a church in Texas, he asked me to come and to, to help him with some, some vision casting that he was doing with his board and some strategizing that he was doing with his church. And, 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 and so he called me in as the consultant to come and, and to work with his church board on something. So we're, so we're meeting, and, and you know what a consultant is, right? A, a consultant is someone who lives more than two hours away and they have a briefcase. And, and so now a consultant is someone who lives more than two hours away, has a Zoom account, and a MacBook Pro. Okay, so that was me. Uh, I was the consultant. And I was just saying things to his church board that he has said before, but because I lived more than two hours away and I was on Zoom, they listened. And so as we're going through this session of talking about the strategy of the church and best practices of this and that, there's one lady that just sort of got frustrated with it all. And, and maybe she was just getting impatient with the process. And, and she said, you know, what we need to do, pastor, talking to her pastor, pastor, you just preach and you tell us what sin is. You tell us what sin is and we won't do that. You tell us what God wants to do and we'll do that. And I thought about what she said. There was a part of me that really appreciated like the simplicity of that. Just tell us what sin is, we won't do that. Tell us what righteousness is and, and we'll do that. But the problem is, have you read the Old Testament? Like God's kind of already tried that. <laughs> I don't know that Israel did a really good job of, you know, uh, of listening. But, but the other problem with that, even though I, I appreciate some of the simplicity of it, is that this life of faith that we live, this allegiance that we have to the ways of Jesus, this decision that we've made to, to follow Jesus, friends, it's so much more. It has to be so much more than sin management. Tell me the do's. Tell me the don'ts. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I'm not supposed to do. Let's make a list. Pastor, just make a list and we'll be faithful as the people of God. Friends, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It is enjoining your life to the very life of God. And seeing your story is connected to the story of God. And being so surrendered to the ways of God that the Spirit works through you to continue this grand story that, that began so long ago. And so the question for us today is, is how does my life God, how does my life fit into your grand story for the redemption of all things? Like we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we see the new heaven, we see the new earth. God has taken everything that was wrong and he's made it right. Every injustice, he has, he has corrected. The people of God living in the light of God's presence in the new heaven and the new earth. The redemption of, the, of all things is happening. And friends, we, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, are called to partner with God and join with God to see that become a reality. And so how does my life fit, God, into your grand story of, for the redemption of all things? In the book of Psalms, the worshiping hymn book, the, book, the hymn book of, of the people of Israel, we have a, a psalm, a song that they would sing in worship. They would gather on one day of the week, just like we are today, and they would sing this song. And I think it helps us understand how our life fits. So I want you to go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to read the first 18 verses together. And listen to this song and see how this song affirms our participation in God's story. Verse 1, the psalmist writes, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. 
You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Listen to verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful song that the Israelites would sing as they gathered in worship. I didn't read the full chapter for you, but there are four stanzas. And let's walk through them and and sort of get an overview of what's going on here. First of all, in verses 1 through 6, the psalmist expresses this just astonishment at, 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 at who God is and how God knows everything about him, his thoughts, his intentions, his movements. God is sovereign and is, is knowledgeable, is omniscient over all of that. There's nothing hidden from God. In stanza 2, verses 7 through 12, the psalmist expresses fear that there might be a dimension, either vertical and horizontal or or lateral, or vertical or horizontal, see I'm not an engineer type, um, that he can be absent from the presence of God. He says, if I ascend to the highest heights, Lord, you're there. If I descend to the lowest lows, this, this place in the Hebrew imagination known as Sheol, or this abode of the dead, if I go to that place of darkness, Lord, you're there as well the wings of the dawn in the east or where the sun sets in the west, Lord, you're there. In stanza three, the psalmist affirms that God created him, that God's presence is everywhere in stanza two. And then in stanza three, God created him, knit together his body and put him in this world where God's presence is everywhere. And then the last stanza, which we didn't read, it is the psalmist expressing his allegiance. There are wicked people in the world, but he affirms his wholehearted commitment to God. So you see this full picture of of God's presence and his sovereignty over all of life. And friends, that includes our story. As you think about our story and how it is joined to God, we have to know and trust and believe that this sovereign, omniscient God is leading and guiding all of it. Look at verses 5 through 6. The psalmist says, you hem me in. I love this imagery 
of God hemming us in. He's behind us. He's before us. He lays his hand upon us. Verse 6, how you do this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And and I want to just unpack that just a little bit because Scripture affirms two things, and sometimes we feel like they're in contrast with one another. Scripture affirms the sovereignty of God, that, that God is in control, that God has a plan and purpose for, for creation. And so on the one hand, Scripture clearly affirms the, the sovereignty of God, but then also Scripture affirms human agency. Scripture affirms that, that these beings created in the image of God are free to make certain choices. And sometimes these choices are in alignment with the wills of, will of God, and sometimes these choices are out of alignment with the will of God, what the Bible calls sin, where we choose to rebel against what God has called us to do. And so there are these, these two things that Scripture affirm, and they, they exist in sort of a dynamic or a tension. God is both sovereign and humanity is free to make choices. And I, I, I've been in theology classrooms where everybody twists their brain into a pretzel trying to reconcile these two things. And, and I think what I've landed on is what the psalmist says here in verse 6. Such knowledge is too lofty for me to attain. There, there has to come a point in the life of faith where we affirm both things as true. And although we don't know how they work themselves out in the world, we affirm them as true and in the heart and the mind of God, which is unattainable and unknowable for us, they are perfectly reconciled. And we have to trust that God is ordering that. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that, that came out of the civil rights movement. As, as minority communities in the 60s were advocating for the Voting Rights Act of 1964, they were going around to cities and they were organizing. And they were going to churches and they were saying, hey, we've got to organize to see that this happens. And one of the organizers had, has this famous quote, and she stood up in front of her group. They had lots of work to do. And it was all anchored in their faith that this was an injustice that God wanted to make right. And so it, this emerges from the, from the church. And she stood up in front of this, this group of faith leaders and, and people of faith as they're organizing to, to push the, the civil rights uh, movement forward. And she said, friends, we have to pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on us. I think she's got it, I think she's got it right. No, we got to pray like it all depends on God. We need, to, we need to get before God and say, Lord, this is, this is all you, what you're calling us to do, what you're wanting to make of our stories, how you're wanting to join our story to your story. That is all your work. It all depends upon you. But yet at the same time, there's this human element where I actively participate in that. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we get caught up in this, this idea that like, you know, we say a lot of times, what is the will of God? What is God's will in this situation? As if it's verbatim written down somewhere that, that every choice we make, what, whether we choose the, the, the quarter pounder or the Big Mac, is somehow controlled by God's sovereign hand. I, I, I think what we need to understand is that we have human agency. 
And God allows us to exist in this, this freedom of human agency. And what the psalmist says is God hems us in. And God is out in front of you. God is behind you. God is to your right. God is to your left. God is working all things out for your good. And so what Jesus calls us to, he says, hey, it all hangs on this. Love God, love other people, and then he commissions the church to go and make Christ-like disciples. And so if we will order our life by those principles, the, the daily decisions that we make, as long as they don't violate that, that law of love, loving God, loving others, we are going to be in the will of God, and God is going to bless us as he is ahead of us, behind us, and all around us. He hymns us in, in his sovereignty and in his omniscience. And we should rest in that. And I take great comfort in that, friends, because there have been times in my life where I violated the law of love. Maybe I wasn't so nice to the lady who handed me Luke's pacifier. There's been times in my life where I violated the law of love. I've rebelled. I've sinned. And that shouldn't surprise you because you know the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you'll allow me to confess my sin this morning, I'll allow you to also affirm your sin in what Scripture teaches. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have rebelled against God's plan for our life. That's the bad news. But the good news is a God who redeems, a God who restores, He was ahead of our sin. He was behind our sin. He was to the right. He was to the left. He was all around us as we are making destructive choices. He is in the midst of that, actively working to redeem and to restore. So friends, the good news today is that no chapter of our story is outside of God's power to redeem and restore. There's nowhere you can't go that He isn't already ahead of you. No chapter is outside of God's power to redeem and restore. This is good, good news and as you, as you work through the psalmist, you get, to this, you get to this last part of it where the psalmist declares that, you know, it, there are times in my life, this is verse 12, there are times in my life where it seems that it's only darkness. It's only darkness. I've rebelled. I've sinned. I've made a mess of things. And I've brought darkness upon myself or I'm living in darkness or I'm experiencing loss. Maybe, maybe sometimes we're in that darkness that we didn't bring on ourselves. But there we are. It's dark. We can't see God's presence. And what the psalmist says there in verse 12, he says, let's back up to verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night all around me. Good news, verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Are there some dark moments in your story? Are, are there some dark moments that you're not proud of today? Friends, the light may be veiled by your rebellion or by your grief or by your disappointment or by your loss. But did you hear what the worship team sung for us today? God can be trusted God is faithful. We've seen him move in the past and we will see him do it again. That was certainly the case on the first Easter. This week I, I, I read again the, the resurrection accounts and I was drawn to Mark's account 
Mark does something in his, in his resurrection account that, that I want to share with you, and it, and it revolves around the person of Peter. You remember Peter and his role in the story of Jesus? He's really easy to spot in the Gospels. When, you, when you're reading through the Gospels, if you want to find Peter, he's the disciple that always has his foot in his mouth. He's always saying something he shouldn't say. He has these incredible high moments, and then he has these incredible low moments. There's, there's this one moment where Jesus says, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you, and it's great. And then almost in the same breath, Peter kind of gets out ahead of himself and ahead of Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him and says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in mind, but you have the things of man in mind. And so there's Peter, always has his foot in his mouth. And recently, a series of shows came out uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's called The Chosen. And it takes all four gospel accounts and it tells this story of Jesus and it harmonizes all four. And the cool thing about what the, the writers of The Chosen do is they weave in these imagined stories of what's going on in between these stories. And they do a great job of kind of painting a picture of the kinds of messes that Peter would get himself into. And so I resonate so much with these messes that Peter creates for himself. But we don't have to imagine his biggest mess. His biggest mess was when he's warming himself by a fire, Jesus is on trial. And this slave girl says, you know, I think I recognize you. I think you were with Jesus. And Peter can't even say to a little slave girl, no, no, that, 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 that or yeah, yeah, that was me. He denies Jesus. Three times he denies Jesus. And when he does, the rooster crows, and he remembers that Jesus had said this was going to happen. The text tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. He was so ashamed. It was so dark. It was the worst chapter of his life. Can you imagine Peter on Saturday? Jesus dies on Friday, and then here are the disciples on Saturday. You've denied Jesus three times. Jesus is dead. Can you imagine the darkness that he must have been experiencing? Well, Mark tells us that women got up early on Sunday morning to go anoint the lifeless body of Jesus with spices to help preserve it as it decayed. And they wondered, who's going to roll the stone away when we get there? I don't know. Let's just go and we'll figure it out. And as they get there, they see that the stone's been rolled away. There's a man dressed in white. He's there to proclaim what has happened. This man dressed in white, he looks at the women who came to anoint the lifeless body of Jesus. And he says to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Look, this is where they laid him. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The messenger proclaiming the resurrection for the first time makes a special point to tell these women, make sure you find Peter. Peter's living in darkness. He's living in shame. But the darkness will not overwhelm him. Even darkness is light in the light of the resurrection. The light of Christ's resurrection brings light to your darkest chapter. The darkest moment in your life 
the resurrection brings light to it and redeems it. And can you imagine Peter coming face to face with Jesus, this light shining in his darkness? Can you imagine the euphoria of knowing my best days are ahead? This changes everything. Jesus has risen from the dead. I thought my life was over. I thought there's no way I could ever come back from this. But Jesus looks at Peter. He says, feed my sheep. I've got a mission for you. I've got an amazing story for you to participate in. And can you imagine Peter as Jesus ascends, as Peter waits for the Holy Spirit thinking, wow, the best is yet to come. And that's the difference Jesus makes in our life. He comes to us in our darkest moments, the darkest moments of our story. And he says, because of me, because of the resurrection, because of what I've done, the best is yet to come. I've got more in store for you. There's still a story to be written, friends. And today I want to invite you, I want to invite you to meet the author of your story. My boys grew up a little bit. I want you to fast forward with me about nine years. Lauren's working another job. She's working for Canopy. They resettle refugees in our area. And, and the, there's a New York Times bestselling author. His name is Alan Gratz. And he wrote a book called Refugee. And both of my boys read it. And uh, they loved it. And Lauren had a chance to bring Alan Gratz to Northwest Arkansas. And so we, we had a meeting and, and people came to, to meet him and to hear about the book and to hear how it captures the story of, of people who are fleeing violence and persecution. And so we had a meet the author event. And there's my nine-year-old and my six-year-old hearing from the author the inspiration behind the story, hearing from the author about the characters and what he was thinking and what was going on. It was an amazing event. It was a meet the author event, and maybe you've been to one before. And, and I want to say to you today, this is your chance to meet the author of your story. You know, a few weeks ago, high school graduates and college graduates, they were gathered in an arena or a football stadium, and someone gave a speech. And somewhere in that speech, someone communicated one thing. All these speeches are kind of the same. But in that speech, they communicated one thing. They said, you are the author of your story. Now go make something of your life. And as people of faith, can we just call out how wrong that is? We are not the author of our story. God is the author of our story. The question is, will we surrender it to him? Will we allow him to be the author of our story? If you'd like to make that decision today, maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've insisted on holding the pen and writing every chapter and controlling everything yourself. If you heard Psalm 139 correctly, you know you don't have the sovereignty to control everything in your life. You don't have the omniscience to know what's coming ahead of you and fully understand what's behind you and what's to your right and what's to your left. Why would you insist on writing your own story? When the author of 
all that is seen and unseen, the God of the universe says, let me hold the pen. Let me write a story. And it's going to be called your life. And it's going to be true and beautiful and good. But it begins with you surrendering your life to me. Would you like to meet the author today? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I'd like to pray with you. I believe that someone's here today and you've never made that decision. I believe there's someone here today that that has never realized that they don't have to be the author of their story. They can surrender it to one who has all power and who has all knowledge and is all loving. Today, if you'd like to do that, would you pray with me? Would you trust in Christ today for salvation? Would you trust in Christ for the direction of your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to call all the shots. Lord, we don't have to make all the decisions. We thank you that you are gracious and loving and kind and you are present in our life. And Father, I pray for that man, that woman, the student. I pray for that person gathered here today that's saying, I want Jesus to write my story. I want it to be a story that's true, that's beautiful, that's good, and I surrender my life to him today. Thank you, Father, that we in faith can pray that. And your word says you are faithful and you are true and you forgive us of our sin and you cast it as far as the east is from the west and you enter into our life and you begin to write something that is good. We thank you for redeeming our past failures and our past mistakes. We thank you that in our darkest moment, it's not dark to you, but the light of your resurrection redeems and restores it. And Father, bless us now as we live a new life, as we live a life ordered by you and led and guided by you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.